Hello and welcome to the Flex. This is episode 53 of our volume two here, our second season doing this. This is Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. And this is going to be the last real post-game episode we're doing this year. It's the end of the line for the Friars in the Sweet 16 against Kansas. 66-61 was the final score there. Joe, I know, I know we're going to have... Uh, so ups and downs to talk about with this game. It's a it's a bittersweet feeling, more bitter than sweet with this team. But I want to start with the sweet because for as hard as it is to watch this team lose and just see some of these you know some of these guys are not going to be suiting up again for the Friars. I don't think you can talk about this team without putting putting it in the context of just how successful this year's team was. So Joe and I just put together a list before we recorded of just some of the accolades. I'm going to go through this to start because this is what this team has earned this year. Big East regular season champs for the first time in school history. 14 wins in the Big East, the most in school history. 27 wins during the regular season or in total in the season, the second most in program history. They did not lose back to back games at any point this season. They got a four seed, the highest they've ever been seeded in the tournament. They spent two weeks in the AP Top 10, 13 straight weeks in the AP Top 25, the first Sweet 16 since 1997, Cooley's first second weekend appearance in the NCAA tournament. It's the first NCAA tournament win for every single player on this roster. This is the first time the Friars swept Xavier in a season in very dramatic fashion. The first Providence coach to ever win Big East Coach of the Year. That's Ed Cooley. Obviously, we're waiting on the National Coach of the Year, of which he is a finalist. And you had Nate Watson, who made the second team All-Big East, and Jared Bynum, who made second team All-Big East and was the sixth man of the year in the conference. I mean, this group deserves one hell of a round of applause for putting together one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a Providence Friars basketball lineup. Yeah, Matt. Um, the, it was really a, a season for the history books. It was there, there were a lot of ups and not a lot of downs. Sixth downs to be to be specific, but um, it was really it was a fun season to watch and be a part of. Um, it was a lot of fun to be in person at a lot of these games. It was a lot of fun to cover these games on the podcast, and. You know, just the, the the narrative surrounding these guys, too. You know, no first-team all-conference selections, no player-of-the-year contenders. And the the the, the storyline of this team was uh, a bunch of guys, a bunch of graduate guys coming together to for one common goal, and that was to win. And they did it under the structure of Ed Cooley and, you know, his style of basketball, which is gritty, ugly defense and slow, stretched-out offense. And it, it worked, and it, it damn well worked for a lot of the season so it, you, you you're gonna miss this team um the, this loss is definitely emotional when you look at, at the the accolades that the squad put together and the emotional run that they went on but um a successful season nonetheless no and we forgot the probably the most important stat if you're trying to tell the story of this team finished with a 12 and 3 record in games decided by five points or less or in overtime just remarkable right there and unfortunately this loss against kansas was one of those three i want to get into some of the stats here there's a lot to talk about from the analysis of this game but first joe you were there talk us through what i couldn't be there in chicago i was watching in a bar in midtown manhattan talk us through the experience of being there around those friar fans getting to see this team play in the sweet 16 yeah, um, I mean, first, shout out to my girlfriend. She worked her tail off to get the tickets and to make it happen. My birthday is this week, so it was a, an early birthday present. So super grateful that we were here. But um, I mean, the atmosphere in the United Center was something else. Um, I'll tell you this firsthand. Kansas has the most unknowledgeable fan base of any team in the country, including Connecticut, including Villanova, including Xavier, like all these unknowledgeable fan bases that I've experienced over my years. Kansas has the most unknowledgeable bandwagon fan base I have ever seen. And I was yeah, I was sitting in the same section as a really arrogant and annoying Kansas fan. But even besides that, like in the concourse, in the restrooms, like just the can't they just don't understand anything about the way college basketball is played. Uh, when Ed Cooley got a standing ovation when he was announced at the beginning of the game, a couple of guys were yelling like, why? What? Who is this guy? Like, 
he's a top tour. He's a top four contender for coach of the year. Like they don't pay attention to basketball. They're all bandwagon fans. But anyway, I digress on that. The first half um, was as expected. I mean, you know how, how Providence, we don't have to dissect what happened in the first half, but it, it was awfully quiet from the Providence fans. Um, but I'd say from around the 15 minute mark in the second half till really the, the final 30 seconds, you would have thought it was the Dunkin Donuts Center. It was loud. It was rowdy in there there was one point where ed cooley stood close to midcourt and was just waving his arms up to the crowd it was deafening um there were some points where i was screaming so hard that i was seeing like black dots it it was it it was really energetic in there matt Uh, kevin farhar wrote a piece on the end of the season it was really really good i read it the other day and he said that he was in the building and then there were some points when during the game where you couldn't hear yourself think and no type of description or write up could could even fathom the the energy that was in that building. It felt like we were in Rhode Island is the best way I could put it. I mean, it, it sounded like it on TV. I'll tell you, I mean, I was in a, the, the bar I was at uh, Jack Dempsey's. I'm sure many Friar fans are familiar with that one over near MSG. When the Friars made that run and took the lead, I swear I thought the floor was going to give out. I mean, just the energy there. We were watching on TV in a bar. I can only imagine what that was like in person. So I just – I think the biggest takeaway from this is that feeling of, all right, we got to get back there. We've been there Um, once, now we got to do it again. uh, I would absolutely agree. Um, And mind you, too, we were in the Midwest in Chicago. Uh, By the way, side note – I've been to a lot of cities across the country, never Chicago. Chicago is one of the nicest cities I've ever been in. The people are fantastic. The the cities and the sidewalks are clean. The architecture is appealing to the eye, the layout of the city, the rivers, the bridges. Really, really nice city. Top top two city, if not the top city I've ever been to. Um, but keep in mind, we were in the Midwest, too. You know, Providence sees some more success. We find ourselves in the east. I mean, this is looking too far to ha- too far ahead, and it's obviously not even really realistic. But next season, the, the regional final is in New York City. Yeah. So and a lot yeah, of things no, I, have to fall our way for that to happen. But just, well, if, just if we yeah. go ahead, I was just pulling that up. And the next three east regional sites, it's Madison Square Garden and then TD Garden up in Boston and then all the way out to 2025. If you want to look that far ahead, the Prudential Center. So some, some so, really if you, the Friars end up in the east in any of these future tournaments, you come, I can only imagine what the crowd would be like for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, a lot of good stuff has to happen and the pieces need to fall into place uh, over the next three seasons in order for us to get there. But. Listen, if Providence fans show out the way they did in Chicago to New York, Boston or Newark, it's going to be tough to beat us. I'll I'll just say that much. Yeah, got to get there first. And I know we're going to have a lot of podcasts this offseason talking about the transfer portal, talking about who's coming, talking about who's going, all of that. That's a whole puzzle to figure out. Yep. But I think we got to talk about what happened in this ballgame. I, I want to read off some stats for you, but before I do that, my overall takeaway watching on watching this on TV, kind of the feeling of the game was that the Friars played like a team that felt, I don't know, lucky to be there. <laughs> of course, that's that word lucky coming back up. But it felt like a team that didn't quite expect to be here. They wanted to get out of the first weekend, but didn't quite know what to do next. Kansas played like a team that fully expected to be playing in the Sweet 16. And that kind of matches with the preseason expectations and what Kansas has done the past couple of years, what the program is, all that. The lights definitely seemed a little bit too bright for Providence at points in this game. And I, I, it's, not, it's not too much of a criticism of this team. If you're playing in the Sweet 16, the lights are going to be bright. These guys have moved. There wasn't a player on this roster that had ever won an NCAA tournament game before. The only one I believe that had played in one was Nate was Watson. Nate. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, nobody had been on this stage before. So that's going to happen. And we said if this was going to be a successful season, you got to get to that second weekend. They made it. So as far as I'm concerned, anything past the second weekend was gravy. You'd love yeah. to have it. Love to have it. But I don't think you can ever be bummed about bummed out that you play a close game to the last one seed remaining, a one seed that is now in the final four, but it just demolished Miami as a really good team. So. Hats off to Kansas. They're good. They're talented. Bill Self, I think, did a really good job. The stats that caught my eye here, 
and uh, there's I'll, I'll kind of we'll do we can do a choose your own adventure, Joe. I'll read <laughs> off a couple stats. I'll let you choose which direction we go with it. Okay. There's there's three point shooting. Friars were four of twenty three. Kansas just two of fourteen. Neither team shot the ball well there. Go with the paint play. Friars had thirteen offensive rebounds, just five second chance points, and they were blocked eleven times. Ochai Abaji, he only had five, he had five points, the lowest he's had all season, but four blocks, a career high. Um, Jared Bynum, two points, one of five from the field, only played 18 minutes and was, I believe, minus 16 in his playing time. Oof. And yeah, in the last stat I'm going to give you here, <clears throat> Remy Martin, 23 points, his high in a Kansas uniform. Give you a lot of different directions there. I think those are all kind of the stats that sum up the major storylines in this game. Where do you want to go with this one? So I'm going to group the final three that you said. Um, Mm -hmm. Abaji not scoring a lot. Bynum underperforming and Remy Martin Martin having a career night. I'm going to group them all together and label them as player performance. Um, And what I'm going to do with this is first I'm going to reference the point you just made about – the, the lights being a little too bright. I think, you know, that that narrative that you just produced on that is, is accurate. Um, I, I think, you know, you have to look at it from a Kansas perspective, though. They've been here before and they acted like it. Um, and that was the sense that you got from them is that they knew that they deserved to be there. And that's how they were playing. Providence, th- this is f- uncharted territory for us, for everyone, for every player on that roster, for every coach on that bench, uncharted territory. And I think it translated on the floor. With that, I think there were a couple of exceptions, and I think the the, the bright spots of Providence were Justin Manaya and the defensive performance he put on Abaji. Um, my friend's group chat from home you know, was lighting up. Everyone was like, Kansas played a terrible game. Abaji played awful. Maybe it's not so much that Kansas played a terrible game and more so that Justin Minaya just did a spectacular job guarding him. You know, I think a lot of times when you when you look at the narratives on on Twitter and social media and on these so-called basketball experts, it's oh Kansas played bad. No, maybe it's just Providence played really good defense and Kansas was fortunate to pull away because that's what tenured teams of the Sweet 16 and of late March Madness games do. Um, so I think you give a lot of credit to Minaya. Um Abaji is one of the front runners for player of the year. And I was at this uh, Kansas Miami game this afternoon. And that is correct. Abaji is one of the best players I've ever seen play college basketball. With all of that said, Justin Manaya did a, an outstanding job guarding him. So not enough credit given to Justin Manaya for his performance, um, at least nationally. I know Providence fans and Providence writers will give him the credit where it's due, but nationally not enough respect for Manaya. Jared Bynum, um, Listen, uh, we we were talking about this, Matt, uh, through our text messages. Obviously, very hard to replicate the month of February for him. I think he's been down a couple of games. Um, He had a good game against Richmond, an okay game against uh, South Dakota State. But ultimately, like, very difficult to to replicate a month-long performance that he did in February. I think Um, he shot over over 50% from three for the full month, which you're never – if you can do that for a full season, you're going to go down as one of the best players to ever play the game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there were points where he was being called Steph Curry. So, listen, you you would have expected more from a tenured guy like him. But again, it's his first time in the NCAA tournament. Period. That's what you expect from the Sweet Sixteen. It's like he, he's he's off kilter. He's out of his comfort zone, and it showed. Um, and then to Remy Martin, man, it's spectacular, spectacular performance. He was getting whatever he wanted, and I thought defensively. From roughly the 13-minute mark to the six-minute mark in the second half, when we had A.J. Reeves guarding Remy Martin, I thought that was our best sequence of the game, offensively and defensively, because Manaya was doing his thing on Abaji and Reeves was doing his thing on Martin. All of, a, all of a sudden, Reeves comes off and Bynum subs in on Martin. All of a sudden, Kansas is up six again. I, I thought, and listen, you, you can poke and prod and... A lot of people will say the game was lost by Reeves. A lot of people will say it wasn't. I think taking out Reeves and putting Bynum in and switching the defensive assignment on Martin, sacrificing Reeves's defensive efforts for Bynum's potential offensive efficiency was probably the worst decision in the game and lost us a lot of momentum. Because as soon as Reeves came out, that's when you know the momentum started going back towards Kansas. Um, 
So I, that that was for me the, the turning point in the second half um, when Reeves came out and Bynum came in and started guarding Martin. I thought that was the turning point. Yeah, and I thought that was – I mean, that was a tough matchup for Bynum just size-wise. You're giving up two inches there. And Remy and Martin, I, this was kind of the fact that worried me the most coming into this game. It, it's one thing to defend a team that has one superstar because you can't really take away a superstar, but you can do a lot to make life difficult for them. If they have two guys, though, that can knock down shots with a hand in their face. That's tough. The Friars ran into yeah. that against um, Villanova. And – what you need is a handful of guards that can play really good defense against them. I liked that Reeves on Martin because then you had there you had a size advantage. The downside of that, the tough part was this was this was not Reeves's best game on offense. This is no, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's I'm not gonna lie the the way that this game went. I think we should watch just to make sure that Manai and Reeves are going to forgo that extra year of eligibility they have, especially a guy like Reeves. I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't want to go out like this. We'll see. We'll see. Obviously, a lot of time. This is a tough way for him to go out, but he did play good defense. He had a block and a Baji in the second half, too, yeah. which was really nice. That you really got to see that, that size from Reeves playing under control on defense in a way we haven't really seen before in his career. Exactly. One of the best defensive games he's played. Unfortunately, it didn't translate on the offensive end, but I talked about in the the article I wrote, I preview, how it's going to be a battle of sixth men, Bynum versus Remy Martin, and that made me very anxious. For as good as Jared Bynum is, Remy Martin, at his peak, is a national player of the year caliber guy. He has that talent. He's never really played quite to that level consistently, Mm -hmm. but he has that talent. And just... I mean, he was really the only good player on offense for either team for most of this game. Well, I mean, you can add Jalen Wilson in there for Kansas. You can obviously add Al Durham in there. But Martin was the only guy from start to finish that was actually hitting shots very consistently and kind of hitting the shots he wanted to hit. So he, he was the difference maker and Bynum was the absolute opposite. He only took five shots. He only made one of them. It's, this is the least he has played in a game he was healthy for this season. He played yep. less minutes against St. Peter's, but he got knocked out of that one. Yep. He only scored two points, which tied his season low, which was the Virginia game. Uh, not the way you want to see him end this season. It is one game, uh, but that's it's tough when you go against a, another team like this that really has that that size at the guard position. It's a tough matchup for Bynum. And yeah. I want to talk... I want to talk about that. So I'll let you. I'll let you go ahead. But I want to talk about size after this. No, I, I was just going to add on to that. And, and you look at the perspective of Jared Bynum too. Started off at a mid-major program for a couple of years. Came over, was sidelined due to redshirt, then due to injury at Providence, which is a high-major program, but a high-major program that is, um, as of recently, a stranger to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Then you face one of the most historic and winningest teams in NCAA basketball history in Kansas. It, it really was not a, a matchup or a narrative for Jared Bynum that was necessarily favorable. So I think you're right, Matt, you know, hopefully just more time in the program and more time in in that, that point guard role and that maybe another six man role. I doubt it, but more time on the floor and just more experience will bode him well in the future in the NCAA. But um, if you look at, if if you look at the, the the overarching structure of his, his path to this moment, um, it makes sense, you know? And like you said, Remy Martin at his peak is a national player of the year caliber player. Jared Bynum at his peak was a second team, all big East and big East six man of the year player. So you're looking at two different prototypes of players. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is where things get tough because once you're on the second weekend of March, you can be a damn good team, play a damn good game and lose. And I think, I really think that's what the Friars did here. Again, I said, I'm going to talk about size, but I don't know. We talked about the keys to winning this game. We said offensive rebounding. They did that. We talked about pace, 69 possessions. That's below Kansas' season average. They slowed it down. Um, yeah, yeah, really held Abaji in check for most of the game. It did most of the things we said we wanted them to do. The shots wouldn't fall. And the biggest part of that, you couldn't get shots up. 11 blocks. And, Joe, this I don't, I don't know if you actually listened to this because this happened after we recorded last, but I jumped over onto uh, Jayhawk, a Kansas podcast to give the, the Providence angle on things. So yep. the first thing he did is he went through Ken Palm and went through all the individual factors on Ken Palm was highlighting areas where the Friars are really good and areas where the Friars aren't. 
And you wonder the one thing he talked about that we hadn't talked about all season long. We never mentioned getting shots blocked. Yep. The Friars 302nd in the nation in block percentage on offense, literally in just outside of the bottom 50 in getting shots blocked. I don't, I'm going to be honest. That's not something I noticed for most of the season, but it's very clearly reflected in the stats and Kansas took advantage. I think it was both a a size thing and an anticipation thing. They knew where the shots were going to be and they were able to get there to block them. And yeah, they're they're a big team. They're physical. They're athletic. They might be the same height as you, but they're going to be able to jump a little bit higher and they're a little bit longer and, especially in that first half they made life miserable yeah i i didn't notice that either matt until you just said that um and quite honestly i didn't even notice it in the game um actually that's a lie i did i did notice it in the game which is not conscious not consciously you know i think it was yeah. in the back of my mind but that, that's kind of a damning stat um i think if you look at the way we play too we play a lot of guards in the paint a lot of um the flex offense, you know, the, the flex yeah. offense puts puts your smaller guys in positions to score in the paint. You're going to get your shots blocked. Um, and it allows, to, when you play that small, you can get more help defense too to have a second guy in to block it. Yep, exactly. Um, and then especially too, like, you know, everyone knows where the ball is going. You know, you talk about a target. The number zero is in the shape of a target. You know where the ball's going. So chances are if He's going to get the ball. You're going to have bodies there. Someone's going to block the shot. Um, I don't know what the percentages of, of block shots on Nate. I can't imagine it's very high, but I think a lot of our block shots came on our guards. But just objectively, you, you know our style of play. You know we like to dump it in the paint. Um, we typically play with an undersized point guard. Example A, Jared Bynum. Example B, Al Durham. Um, example C, Alan Breed. You know, you'd expect shots to get blocked. I, I, I didn't even notice that, but now that I think about it out loud, you know, I can see it. I could say, honestly, more of them were on Nate than you would expect. In fact, Watson got blocked by Abaji pretty early on in the game in the first just 1650 mark of the first half. So just just past three minutes in. Yeah. And that's one of those. I don't know. I think we've talked a lot about how Ed Croswell is sometimes more effective than Nate Watson down low and especially right under the basket. And it clicked why for me today Coraswell uses way more pump fakes he's way more versatile with them and I, I wonder if Watson got just just predictable enough that a guy the cal- caliber of Abaji is able to say all right I know what's coming next I can get over here get up and knock this down I, I think too um Watson is in his second season of just pure dominance. I mean, overall, his career has been pretty dominant as a center. Um, it's very rare you get a, ba- a back to the to the basket big man like that. But if you look at the season he put up last year, all these teams, uh, everyone in the Big East, everyone that we played in the postseason, had uh, essentially a full offseason and a full season to scout him. You know what you were going to get. Um, mm-hmm. You knew his style of play. You know he likes that hook shot. You know he likes to back you down. Um and you're right, Croswell. You, Croswell plays a different style of game because Croswell is smaller, um, which again I, I think is why you look at the impact of Nate on and off the floor, and why Croswell gets the looks he does is because all these teams scout so hard for Nate. You scout to defend his style of play, and when Croswell comes in and changes it up, it it, it catches you off guard. You're like, huh, what? Like, and you can see it on the opposing team's big men too. Like McCormick looked a little out of sorts when Croswell was pump faking him and then reversing it on the other side like McCormick was kind of like shaking his head like what the hell just happened like with Watson you know what you're going to get because that's his style of play and it's worked for him for five seasons when you when you take Watson out and Croswell comes in it's like oh shit like what is this Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that change of pace is nice. One's a fastball, and one's the changeup. Uh, the the fastball was getting hit. Uh, Watson he got blocked twice, so two of the eleven blocks were on him. And that's, I mean, that's that's not great for Watson. He took eleven shots, four of eleven from the field, and two of those got blocked. So, yeah, if two of your eleven shots, that's just under twenty percent of your shots got blocked on the on the night. That's not not the best look. Um, but I mean. I think this was a tough matchup for Watson, too. And the whole offense in that first half, Kansas was jumping on everything. They were they kind of knew. I mean, I was impressed because, you know, all those things you watch a team all season and subconsciously, you kind of know where the ball is going next. Every time they pass it, you've seen everything operate enough times. 
Kansas was right there. They, they were seeing it before you could see it on TV. The number of times that you could see they were trying to swing a ball from one side of the court around to the other. By the time it got to the other side, the guy was already covered. They had yep. already rotated to cover where that was. And that was, I think, just a hell of a job by Kansas. And I think there's a certain amount of just, all right, Kansas was more athletic and they had five days to prepare for this game, six days, whatever it was. And yep. for as good as the Friars have been this year, I mean, we've seen it. The offense can get predictable at times. And obviously in the second half, they figured it out. But that whole first half, there was just there was no room to operate. And that's I think that's the other reason the lights were bright, but also was so hard to get space. The shots just weren't falling. Even when they got the open looks, you're working so hard for it. By the time you're getting the shot off, you're tired or you're forcing it or you feel like you got to play hero ball because you feel like this is the only shot we're going to get. This one has to go in. And they, I mean, they, they, there were too many air balls. They were all around the rim. It was rough. For me, Matt, I think the thing I noticed most being there live is, and I'm sure you're going to be familiar with this, is the offensive set we run where you have Reeves and Horkler basically sprinting past each other on the baseline to get that corner Mm -hmm. open three look. Kansas was guarding that so, so well. I mean, their guys were basically standing in the quarter waiting for them. Um, And because, I, I mean, objectively, I think when you scout that play, it's predictable, but typically you scout that play and someone's doubling Watson. So it leaves either the likes of Reeves or Horkler open. And that's why it looks, if you look at what Kansas did last night, they left uh, Watson in single coverage and took the gamble that Durham or Bynum was not going to pass it to him and look for Reeves and Horkler. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so again, Kansas played Kansas played that gamble well. They just they they had a really good defensive scout on us, especially in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. And it took a shakeup of things. It took Ed Croswell coming in and changing up the pace of play in the paint. It took uh, Durham and Horkler making a couple of those shots. It took some tough defensive stops by the Friars to get Kansas off kilter in the second half. But at the end of the day, you know. The, the, the name Kansas is a household name for an NCAA basketball fan for a reason, and that's ultimately why we lost. Yeah, I want to talk about that second half, but before we do, the, we talk about the defense on Watson. The other thing I noticed, they had kind of, at points, they had like a soft double team on Watson because they would only bring the help defense in once Watson got into the paint. So a lot of times it would be, I think it was Christian Brown they had there a lot. They'd kind of have him sitting in the paint just below the elbow. And that was anytime Watson had the ball along the baseline. But Watson's backing this guy down. But the second he would try to turn into the paint, that's when the help defense would come. So yeah. it was really well played because now you're forcing if Watson's going to get open looks, it's going to have to be on the baseline. He's going to be in double coverage if he's going into the paint. But where the guys are, it's not the traditional double coverage where somebody's going to be wide open. Brown is just far enough out that if you kick the ball out, Brown's going to be able to recover and get right back to the three-point line where whoever it is has the ball and cover them. So, I mean, I thought that was really well scouted by Bill Self. I want to give a hat tip there because that's, that's kind of that middle ground defense where you're scheming up something against a specific player and specific sets that worked really well and frustrated them. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I just think they did a good job scouting us. Um, defense, uh, Kansas, I, I didn't think was very well known for their defense. Like, like we scouted in the in the pregame podcast, we talked a lot about their offense and how to slow them down. We didn't really give them a lot of defensive credit, and you know, I don't think there was a lot of defensive credit to give. Kansas isn't known for their defense; they're known for their offense. Um, and they changed it up on us, and it worked. You know, they they definitely caught us off guard. I think we scouted for their their defense, uh, for their offense, excuse me, and they hit us with their defense. Um, with that said, you know, I, I think you look at today's game against Miami, they beat them by 26. It took them six points to, to beat us, and really it was six points in crap time at the end of the game. And, you know, AJ, you know, having a little mental fart on that final offensive possession where he was supposed to get it at the top of the key was kind of the nail in the coffin. You know, he gets that, he drills that shot. It's a two point game. Um, so, you know, I, just, I think yeah. there were, yeah, there I think, were plenty I think, of times when we shot ourselves in the foot, there were plenty of times when Kansas capitalized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you talk about this Kansas defense too. I, I actually, I jumped on a Villanova uh, Twitter space last night talking about this. I think defense has kind of been the overarching story 
of this NCAA tournament. You look at St. Peter's, their defense has been really good. Obviously, they're out now. That's a big reason why they got to where they did. Gonzaga yeah. got knocked out because there was a defense that was able to play with them. Arizona got knocked out because of Houston's defense. Houston got knocked out because Villanova played uh, an excellent, excellent defensive game to get them out of it. Uh, Miami and Iowa State in the our region, the Midwest, they got as far as they did because they played good defense. The Friars, even though they're eliminated, they held their opponents to 58 points per game in the tournament. So I really think that's kind of been the story here. It seems being able to do that. You look at this Kansas defense. I mean, so some of these units we're talking about. Nova is not like one of the top units in the analytics. Miami and Iowa State weren't like the top units. Arkansas was not one of the top units. But it's about what you're doing now and what you're able to scheme up. Kansas, uh, they've only allowed one opponent to score 70 points on them since March 1st. And that was Creighton in that we got game last weekend where they just were not missing threes. And it was kind of a ridiculous showing from that offense. Not typical. So uh, this, uh, this Kansas defense, I think is better than what the analytics and the stats show. I think that they yeah. really kind of came together down the stretch and that's where it's tough. I mean, you can look at the full season. It matters what you're doing right now. That's why North Carolina was an eight seed, but they're in the final four because of what they're doing right now. So, yeah, hat, I mean, hats off to the Kansas defense. But let's talk about what the Friars offense did in the second half to make that run. Because I think that might have been the most electric nine, ten minutes of basketball as I've watched as a Friar fan in a while. Just the way they pulled that comeback. And it all starts with their main man, Ed Croswell. He got it started. Uh, he did, he did, did really a fantastic job. Croswell had a really good game, and I think he took everyone by surprise with that game. Um, you know, you kind of thought it was going to be the bread and butter. You dump it to Watson, wait for him to get doubled, kick out for a three. Instead, it's, it's Croswell getting those scrappy buckets. Um, he he had a really, really good game off the bench, um, and the energy he brought, too. It's like you dump it to Croswell. Kansas fans don't know who the hell he is. Um, David McCormick doesn't know who the hell, who the hell he is. Pump fake one, pump fake two, and one makes the free throws. Pump fake, pump fake one, pump fake two, gets the bucket. Same old story, three times in a row, a couple of possessions back to back, and all of a sudden it's a six-point game. Then, you know, you get Al Durham going, Horkler hits a couple of big threes, and the Kansas fans are sh- shitting their their thongs for, for for lack of a better term that they, they were just they they were shocked um and the reason i say that is because the kansas fan sitting next to me was the most unknowledgeable college basketball fan i have ever met like the typical like front-running bandwagon fan who's chirping more than he than he can take in and then when providence starts taking a run and i start cheering my girlfriend starts cheering like all of a sudden, like he's his face is buried in his phone. He doesn't want to talk or look at anyone like like, yeah, we just did that. Like, um, like, don't speak too <laughs> soon, buddy. It's kind of funny to hear that, too, because all the Kansas media people I've interacted with have been nothing but pleasant. It's uh, it is funny to see the differential between the people that cover, cover the sport and the people that, uh, that just watch some of the games their teams play. <laughs> yep, exactly. But, yeah. But that run, I'm I'm just gonna pull up what the actual scoring was here. And then the second half kind of started. Watson got it. The, the defense got to stop. Watson gets a bucket. Lee gets cut down. And all right, it's 26 to 19 at that point. You're within seven. It's like all right, we're good. And then the Jayhawks score eight of the next ten points. Um, ten of the next 14. Yeah, that dunk to to Lightfoot. And they're up by 13 with 15 minutes left. And that's where it was like, all right, this is bad. And then Reeves, two free throws, Croswell layup, Croswell layup. That was the longest run the Friars had at that point. Uh, I believe that was the longest run they had all game was six, six consecutive points. And then another, and then the Croswell and one, and suddenly you're within five. Yep. And that Uh, really got things going. That was a part of the 14, three run that we went on over that, that 10 minute span. Um, and then when Horkler hit that that shot to take the lead, Matt, I, I thought I thought the roof was going to come off of the United Center, and I swear to God, I I mean it. That it was deafening in there. Like oh, I, I had to sit. I had to sit down. I got dizzy. 
Yeah, I was that was electric, and I, I I do want to talk about that, but I want to back up just a little bit because there's a lot that happened in the sequence. First, the the Croswell and one I thought was awesome because they had Abaji sliding over late. I think it was Abaji, yeah. Abaji or Jalen Wilson. It's kind of hard to tell the difference between the one and the three with their the Kansas number font, but yep. slides over late. Crosswell just kind of bullies through him, finishes the bucket, and gets the foul. I loved, loved that tenacity. And then, for the first time all game, the Friars had back-to-back buckets. Literally, there's only two occasions where the Friars had, where they strung together baskets. Because the 6-0 run, they were, they were misses in between. Yeah, but they were. You had Durham getting a layup. And then they got to stop. You come back down in transition, and Durham tries to drive. He gets the ball kind of knocked out of his hand, kind of bats into the air, ends up in the wide-open hands of Noah Horkler on the wing. He fires, nails it. Second three of the game for the team. Get another, or he didn't get a stop. McCormick gets a basket. Come back down, get it to Horkler again, and he hits another three. You get three shots in a row, and then it's, and that that's the one-point game. That was kind of the moment where it was, all right, the offense is on. They're feeling it. The lid's off the basket, and we're in this one. It's a battle now. Yeah. Yep. That, that's exactly um, – you, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's that's exactly how you felt with the crowd too is like we're here. Um, to quote Ed Cooley, Providence is in the damn building. That's what it felt like, and that's what we saw all season. Um, you saw it against Marquette. You saw it against Xavier. You saw it at Villanova. You saw it at St. John's. Just th- those moments where the team starts putting it together late in the second half and – as a fan, you've seen it all season and you recognize it. You're like, all right, we're here. It's time. Like, it's not going to be pretty, but, you know, we're in the game now. Um, it, this reminded me a lot of the, of that road game at Villanova, especially because at Villanova, we're down 14 against Kansas. We're down 13 and mm-hmm. you, you chip and claw your way back into it, make it a close game. Obviously, I think we played better overall at Villanova than we did last night, but it was the same type of of feel, um, especially with home Providence fans there too. And for a majority of of that run, that fourteen three fourteen to three run, that ten minute span, the fans, the black and white, it, it was severely overtaking the Kansas blue and red. Um, mm. And you just knew, you knew that regardless of what happened, regardless win or lose, that we were there and we were going to make it a game, and that the Providence brand of basketball had arrived. Yeah. And the teams kind of went back and forth a little bit after that. You saw Kansas goes back up by four. Durham got a lab. Reeves, two more free throws. Reeves is pretty good at the free throw line. Was he was he perfect? I don't have that in front of me. I think uh, he might have been. Reeves was four for four from the stripe. Yeah. So, I mean, he had, he had an up and down day. That's for sure. But he was really good there. The best guy for the Friars shooting free throws on Friday night. And then that uh, Durham, sorry, Durham had another basket in there that tied. So Reeves tied it with the free throws. Then Wilson layup, Durham layup, McCormick free throw. But Kansas had a rough, rough free throw night. That's for sure. They got a lot of them. They missed a lot of them. Yeah, they did. Then then that bucket to take the lead. We've we've talked all podcast here about how Kansas's defense had Providence's number. And that was the one sequence where the Friars got him. I mean, it was picture perfect. It was just a slipped screen from Horker. He comes over like he's going to set up the screen, cuts to the basket, shakes his man, perfectly timed pass from Durham to hit him with that in stride, lays it in with ease, and you lead. And yeah. just so pretty, so pretty. Yeah, it was it was really a, a great sequence, a great play. Um, and I think, too, you know, given the way Horkler had been shooting and playing that you would you wouldn't expect him. You wouldn't expect him to be the, the recipient of the slip screen pass. You know, Watson, maybe Manaya, maybe you you thought Horkler was going to take another three if you're Kansas. And there he goes right to the bucket and picture perfect, Matt, like you said, and. I thought the United Center, the roof was going to blow off and, and the Jordan jerseys were going to sprawl out all over Chicago. It was, oh, that atmosphere was unreal. Yeah. Unfortunately, the lead lasted only 28 seconds. And it, it, was it, it. Yeah, it turned around very quickly. 7-0 run with, with relative ease from Kansas after that. I mean, they didn't really have to try for those baskets. And you had Jalen Wilson had an and one. After that, and I think 
I think one of the tough spots of the night for as good as Horker was on offense. He was one of the better offensive players for Providence. He had a rough night on defense. I think we've seen it before against Villanova. He's not the toughest guy one-on-one. And Jalen Wilson had a double-double for the Jayhawks. He was he was really good. He had a good night. They needed somebody else to step up other than Remy Martin, and he did. Um, he kind of took Horkler to the basket. Christian Brown was it was just solid all night. And then um, this is where you had oh, the, the Abaji... Um, alley-oop came a little bit later, but that was kind of in the sequence. There's a 7-0 run, Croswell two free throws, and then another free throw for Kansas in the Abaji dunk, and it's seven-point game with under three minutes left, and he kind of had all the momentum sucked out of the building. Yeah, um, and you kind of felt it, too. Once once Kansas was gripping onto that six- to eight-point lead in the final, uh, maybe it was three minutes, Um you kind of felt that the game was over. And then there were shreds of hope when it was cut to five, I think, at one point. It could have been five or six, my memory it got, is. It got cut to four at one point. What, when was it cut to four when Reeves um, didn't turn around quick enough for the top of the key? Uh, that was, was – I'll have to pull up the actual shot chart. I mean, it was it was cut to four with – with Watson's dunk with under a minute left, where he got that transition dunk. Durham had so a layup that cut it to four right after. Reeves had a three that cut it to four with 235 left. That was immediately after the Abaji dunk, which, that I mean, that did kind of keep the Friars in it. Yeah, I think, I think it was after... Um, you said Watson layup, mm-hmm. or Watson dunk with less than a minute. Yeah, that yeah, it would have been Horkler missed the subsequent three pointer with twenty eight seconds left. So yeah, it was about thirty seconds left. And it, it was, was at that point it was forty six seconds f- left. I remember the play because I remember just shaking my head. Um I remember the yeah, forty six seconds left. You go ahead. And it, it was and it was a four point game at that point. Let me yeah. I'm looking through the shooting notes here. I'm just gonna pull up the actual play by play notes just to make sure we are getting this hundred percent right here. Um Let's go here. Man, there's there's so much here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's just so much going on. It couldn't have. It must have been 36 seconds because Kansas missed a free throw, made a free throw with 43 seconds. And the next note is 28 seconds left. That's the missed three from Horkler. But so it was somewhere in that span. Yeah. So it was it was a five point game at that point. And a three, if if Reeves hits a three or if Horkler hits that three. It would have been a two-point game with under 30 seconds left. Um, I'm sure Kevin Farhar would know. <laughs> he, he'll probably listen to this and know it right away. But it was it was the play where, where Durham was on on the wing there on, outside the three-point arc. There was a screen for Reeves, and he just didn't cut back in time. And it was one of those plays that you draw up that we've seen drawn up for him the past four years, where it's late in the game, you need a three-pointer to make it closer to, to tie it or take the lead, and he just wasn't there for it. The, the crowd, was, the the reaction from the crowd, the reaction from Durham, the reaction from Horkler, all kind of sold it that 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 was game. Um, and I, I think the rest is history. You know, you can play the foul and free throw game all you want, but at the end of the day, you know, once you're gripping that that two possession lead with less than thirty, um, if you're making your free throws, it's that's kind of good night. Yeah, and I don't the, for as tough as the play was too. I think there was confusion because I think Reeves thought he was there to screen somebody. Yeah. And they've run that before, too. And I think I, I'm I'm almost wondering watching this if the play wasn't designed for Reeves. And it was one where everybody else can see that he's wide open, but his job is to screen and he's not looking for that. Yeah. For, for as bad as that was, this was not Reeves' best night shooting the three ball. I'm not sure if he makes that even if he's open. I think to me, the more telling part about that was that not only did Noah miss it was an air ball. It came up way, way short. Part of that was the defense. But I think you could kind of tell down the stretch the team was gassed. Every yeah. time Kansas was at the free throw line, everybody had their hands on their knees. They were tired. They didn't have anything left. And I think I think, I think, think really, for as amazing as the comeback was, it kind of felt like the Friars lost this game in the first half. They were able to pull that comeback. They're good enough to play with Kansas for 20 minutes and really make it a game. But they weren't good enough to do that without using up all the energy they had left and Kansas had more. Yeah. So I don't know. I, 
it's it's for me in general too it's easy to blame three-point shooting for this loss the Friars shot the three better than kansas did they did um the, the the kansas fan that i was talking about um was screaming that Providence sucked from three, to which we promptly pointed to the scoreboard where the three-point percentages were appropriately listed, and Providence had a better three-point shooting percentage than Kansas. Um, yeah, but, I think this, but like, this, this game was lost for the Friars because they couldn't make the most of their second-chance opportunities. They got rebounds off yeah. of misses. They got quite a few of them. If you get 13 offensive rebounds and only get five second-chance points— Kansas got 17 second chance points off of 10 offensive rebounds. I think yeah. that right there, that difference and that combined with the blocks and how much Kansas was kind of able to control the paint. I think that's what really ended up being the difference maker over the, the full length of the game. Yeah, I think the first in the first half, Kansas came out. They set the tone uh, defensively. Um, and, and hey, listen, Providence put a hell of a defensive performance out there. Um, you have no complaints about that. But I think Kansas defensively set the tone on for us offensively. And and you kind of knew that, you know, we had our hands full. I think that that 10 minute run in the second half um, was more serving to the theatrics of the season and the overarching narrative that Providence will make it tough and make it, you know, really painstaking for teams to win. Um but at the end of the day, Kansas was the better team. They are the better team. Um, could we have beaten them if we played this team 10 times? Could we beat them five or six times out of 10? Absolutely. Was last night one of those times? No. Um, and I and with with the way the Friars adjusted to the spotlight, I don't think I don't think the, the Friars win this game. A different time, a different place, a different environment, different expectations. Yeah, I just don't think Providence was ready for the spotlight. And I don't think I don't think that's anybody's fault. I think that's the nature of college basketball and the fact that these are we've been calling them men all season. They're still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. It's a, it's a big it's a it's a lot of pressure for people to be under. And sometimes you're just not up to the task. It, you're right. It's a lot of pressure to th- these are young men. I mean, listen, I think the only one that's older than us is Horkler and he's 24. So relatively speaking, from where we stand at, with our age, I turned 24 in two days. Like, you know, I, these are young men, um, young men that this is the first time they're playing in an NCAA tournament for Nate. It's his second time. Um, so, listen, you don't fault them for it. Absolutely not. You know, it's it's you're humans. At the end of the day, we forget that these guys are humans. Um just like us, just like a majority of the listeners to this are actually probably double the age of the guys that are on the floor. So you forget that they're humans. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Kansas has been there before. Kansas is one of those programs in the NCAA tournament. That's a household name. You know who Kansas is. You know who the Jayhawks are. They'll go down in history as one of the most successful teams in NCAA basketball history. Um, with that they're said, blood. <laughs> They, they are a blue blood. With all of that said, the Providence Friars, the small Catholic school from the Northeast that was lucky all season that no one cared about, gave the Kansas Jayhawks one hell of a game. Probably one of the most difficult games Kansas has played all season. Um, and just, you know, uh, this this goes both ways. It'll hurt. It'll sting. But it should also make you feel good that we were six points away from a Final Four appearance. Um Yes, so, I think they're getting through Miami. <laughs> I think they're getting through Miami, too. So that's a, a positive because, you know, you're six points better than Kansas. You go to the final four. It's also a negative because it's kind of like, what if? But we're not trying to keep it negative. So just, you know, keep yeah. your heads high. You beat Kansas. You're in the final four. Yeah. And it's there's 358 teams at Division one. At the end of the day, only one of them ends up end of the season on a win. And I'm not. I'm not counting winning the NIT in that. That doesn't count. Yeah. Only one of these teams is holding a trophy at the end of the year. So for 357 programs, you're kind of you're end of the season on a loss and you're saying, all right, what do we do next year? And for a lot of these kids, it's when it's what do I what do I do next year? You're getting your resume ready. You're you're going over to Europe or Australia or somewhere like that to go play basketball. South America, like you're looking for anywhere you can play. And I mean, that's the nature of this. Winning a national championship is really hard. I think you got to be able to find a way to be happy with this. Because, like I said, unless you're that one, the season's not going to end the way you wanted it to. 
we're fans. We want to see the team do well. And this is as good of a season as we could have hoped for. In a lot of yep. ways, I thought this game was a microcosm of the season, too, which is exactly I mean, they, they spent most of the year hovering in that 10 to 15 range in the AP poll. And I yeah. thought that's how they played for most of the game, which was good enough to slow down Kansas. Not quite good enough to beat them. And we also saw this team pop into the top eight in the AP poll a handful of times. And that's how they played in the second half. That's where you got it. They could play like a top eight team in the country for stretches. Couldn't do it all year long. If that, it's really hard to do, but only eight teams do it. <laughs> so Listen, no. keep it, keep in mind too. You, you look at the success of this team and then you, you, you have to think about the, the build of this team, the architecture of this team transfers, graduate transfers. The only true recruits that played significant minutes this season were Watson Reeves and Alan Breed. Everyone else that played a significant role this season was a transfer. And to think Justin Manaya and Al Durham were graduate transfers in their only year at Providence and the, the significant impact that each of them had respectively on the team. Noah Horkler in his second year as a, as a graduate transfer. Watson in his fifth year as a graduate transfer. Just think about all, all the, the different architectural values of this team, where everyone came from. That's why Ed Cooley deserves to be national coach of the year because Absolutely. this isn't this isn't a team with five-star recruit freshmen that growed and matured and, and were nurtured through the program this was a team that was built off of the scraps of the transfer portal that was pieced together and strung together by a head coach that walked the streets of providence as a poor young child and is now coaching the 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 town's college basketball premier program. You just have to think about all these storylines, all these narratives going into this. And that's why Ed Cooley's the coach of the year. That's why this season is so special is because of the, the guys on this roster, where they came from and the man at the helm that strung it all together. Now nah, you couldn't have said it any more perfectly. This, this wasn't the best team in college basketball this year, but it, it was the toughest. I'll, I'll stand on that. And there's a lot of value in that. It, it does a really good job representing the region in the school. So got to be proud of that. Well, just uh, if there's nothing else, I can run through some of these stats real quick. The individual stats to, to recap. Yeah, go ahead. Durham, 21 points. He was a bucket. I mean, this is. Hey, uh, other, he, than, other, than a, other than a couple of moments where it looked like he died again because of the sports. <laughs> um, he was just <laughs> so good. You know, the threes weren't falling for him. They weren't really this year. He missed a couple of free throws, which part of that's pressure. I think he, yeah. he was also, I mean, it, you're tired and you're hurt. So it is what it is. Um, Nine minutes. Yeah, he was Iron Man playing essentially the full game, wire to wire, 8 of 18 from the floor. So, I mean, he had 21 points on really – that's that's not a terrible shooting percentage, especially when you consider four of those misses were from deep. He was, he was doing a really good job. But Durham had a, a, arguably one of his best games in Providence uniform. Second yeah. leading scorer, Noah Horkler, he had 10 points, 8 rebounds. Not his best game on defense, but he hit two threes. He was the only guy on the team to hit more than one. Uh, Horkler had a pretty decent game. AJ Reeves, nine points, two of ten from the field, one of seven from deep, four of four at the line. Watson, eight points, four of eleven from the field, zero for two at the free throw line, and only two rebounds. Uh, we didn't mention that Watson got into foul trouble, as did Croswell. I didn't really notice anything on the officiating there. I think they just called it a lot tighter in the second half, and some of the things that were kind of blocks or just physical content in the first, they started whistling in the second. I thought that went both ways too. No, I agree. I actually, uh, it's funny. My girlfriend said to me, she goes, this isn't Big East officiating anymore. <laughs> They're letting them play. I thought it was very fairly officiated. I had no real issues which is, there. Which is hilarious because John Gaffney was on the staff. <laughs> That's a Big East rep. <laughs> I, I'd not say a good the, one. The, the only, um, I'd say the only issue I had with officiating was um, that charge called on Al Durham 30 feet from the basket right after Providence took the lead. I thought that was a little fishy, but listen, it's neither here nor there. That didn't decide the game. That was the only no. suspect call I thought that there yeah. was. And the, the Friars got a little bit lucky in the first half, too, because there was a charge they called where Durham took it, and they showed the replay, and it should have been a charge on Durham. He was on defense, but he jumped into the Kansas player. And he, like, leaned into him and laid a shoulder into him. So 
Uh, the calls go both ways. I didn't really have a problem with the officiating here. Um, the last starter was Manaya. He only had two points, which kind of surprised me because I felt like he had more. I felt like he, he was around the rim a ton. He had five rebounds and four assists. He was, he was around the ball all night. The, the shot, he didn't take a lot of shots. He only took four. But I really thought he got, ended up with more points than that. Um, and then off the bench, only 11 bench points. Nine of those were from Croswell. He had nine points and three of six shooting. Perfect from the free throw line, three for three, and six rebounds. He did six rebounds in 17 minutes. That was really good. And the last guy who scored was Bynum. Two points, one of five from the field, 18 minutes of playing time. And then Breed only logged two minutes. And then Goodine and Fonts each, I think they checked in right at the end of the first half for a defensive sequence. Yeah. That was it. Um, yeah, they, they, they went in at the end of the first half, um, when Manaya, Al, Nate all came off, there was like two seconds left and Kansas was inbounding just cause they're expendable for fouls, you know, which is the smart move. Yeah, it was a good coaching. I was kind of shocked to see Preed only play two minutes. I don't think his playing time changes anything, but he was barely on the floor. I, I am a little bit surprised they didn't try to use him on Remy Martin, although obviously Reeves was working and he's a better scorer. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, Matt. I think had things gone a different way in the second half, we could have seen um, Alan Breed come in for Remy Martin. But like you said, it, Cooley's the kind of guy where if something is working, he's going to stick to it, um, which is why you saw you didn't see Alan Breed come in defensively, um, which is also why, like I said earlier, I was kind of shocked that he took Reeves out for Bynum um, with around under six left. But again, that's neither here nor there. You know, we're – I can't really d- dissect it too much, but anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the full box score of individual players there. The shooting percentages didn't end up being that far off. Thirty nine percent for Kansas, thirty four percent for Providence. Both teams were below below twenty percent from deep. Uh, the teams were basically the same from the free throw line. Sixty nine percent nice for Providence. Seventy one percent for Kansas. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which, I mean, the Jayhawks had a lot more free throw attempts, but most of those came at the end of the game when they were fouling turnovers. Kansas had more points off turnovers. Fires led that by one. One one note here, second, not second chance points, fast break points. The Friars had 16 fast break points. Kansas had six. That was phenomenal. The Friars held Kansas well below their season average in transition. That was another area where the defense did a good job. They, Friars missed a lot of shots. Kids had opportunities in transition. The defense put the clamps on them there. Yeah, no, that that was really good, Matt. Great point. Um, and it's funny, you know, I I think we scouted that well for Kansas. You know, limiting transition points. Um, and we kind of used it to our own advantage. Kansas was good guarding us out of our half court offense, but. A transition ball, you know, they were, we were quicker than them. Good point. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think this is one of those where if you're Ed Cool, you might look back and say, I, we talked about the keys to the game and slowing the game down was one of them because you're trying to get Kansas out of a rhythm. Obviously, that worked. This was one of the lowest scoring totals Kansas had all year. And they were they were below it until they made a, a couple free throws at the end. They were below their season low. But I almost wonder if the pace of the game made things more difficult on Providence shooters because there were a lot of points where it looked like guys wanted to shoot, but they also wanted to hold the ball to save clock. And they were just hesitating a little bit, weren't quite sure what to do. And they scored in transition a lot. We've seen with this team played Villanova or St. John's when the pace got up there, the offense was able to keep up with that. Yeah. So uh, obviously slowing the game down worked for the defense. It just, it makes you wonder if, in a situation where your guys aren't hitting, if opening the floor up a little bit and trying to get more transition buckets builds a little bit more confidence. I don't know. Just a note going forward. I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to handle it. I think it all depends on the players and the situation. And I think you're either sacrificing offense or sacrificing defense, depending on which way you go with it. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a comment quick and then I'll let you close out uh, on the hesitation part of it too I think you're right um I think specifically the two times against Villanova you know our offense we weren't afraid to take those transition shots we weren't afraid to take those early shot clock jumpers um I think at Villanova is the best example of this a lot of times early in the shot clock you saw Reeves off a curl and he was taking the three um 
we, we didn't play with that off, offensive confidence. We played uh, guarded is the best way I can think of it. Um, you played we played a little guarded offensively, a little more cautious offensively, and it was costly. Um, but that's the only point I wanted to make. Yeah, as far as I can tell here, looking at the stats, the the second half ended up being a little bit faster paced than the first half. But there's also, I mean, when the Friars made that run, they weren't playing faster at that point than they were at any other point. So, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't know. It's something to think about. I don't know if there's a whole lot there. It's funny, Joe, you look at the, the win probability graph of this game. Yeah, let me, let me, I have it up. So let me take, let you take a look at this before we, uh, before we finish up here. Okay, because it uh, it absolutely makes sense for what we watch. <laughs> it fits. <laughs> yeah, we'll see that screen, I can't see it yet. Oh, I don't know why it's not working. I am sharing my screen. I just see all black. Well, that's not great. No. Come on, uh, Skype. Yeah, we're, this is all kinds of, of te- technical difficulties here. Let me, let me try this again. Yeah, we'll do this. Is that working now? No. All right. Well, I'll paint the picture <laughs> for you. Yeah, it's it starts with Kansas being pretty much favored and goes slightly down until halftime. And then you hit just under the 15 minute mark and it shoots up, shoots up and then immediately just drops right back off. It's like it forms a mountain in the middle of the graph. Yeah, that's that's what I figured. That's if exactly what I figured. If it's if it's, if it's a chips, <laughs> we we do accept sponsorships if they if they want to sponsor us there. Um, and I think I don't know. Uh, it was a good game for Providence. It was it was no, a game it, that it was, was reflective of the team. It was not their best game of the season. It was not their worst game of the season. It reflected who they were, and that is a team that was. I don't know, around by the 13th best in the country. That's where they finished in the AP poll. I'd say that's fair. We were a a top 16 team in the country, a team that was doubted, um, but a a team that could hold their own against the best of the best. I I think that's the best way to put it. I think it is also kind of funny that after all kinds of speculation and talk about everything and, and a really insane NCAA tournament, the Friars were kind of exactly as expected they did not they didn't do more or less than what their seed or their ranking would have expected from them so yeah a little bit of stability there i guess that's nice i would like to see the friars win that is for sure but a lot a lot of good stuff here um before we log off to i think we'll we'll operate under the assumption that none of these guys are coming back we 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 think are leaving the guys that were on or on senior night so i just want to say for al durham and Justin Manaya, really new to Providence, for, for Noah Horkler, for AJ Reeves, for Andrew Fonts, and especially for Nate Watson. It was a pleasure to watch you play in a Providence uniform, whether it was one season or five. Just all kinds of great moments associated with those guys. I'm going to miss the hell out of seeing them. I got both yeah. as players and as people in that. Um, and I obviously wish them well depending on what happens from here. Reeves has another year of eligibility. I believe Manaya does as well because he had a medical red shirt in there. I think they might come back, but we'll offer it under the assumption that they won't until they do. So thank you guys for everything you did for Providence for this team. And they left memories that are not going to be forgotten. Absolutely not. Um, just want to add on that if you haven't, if you didn't see on Twitter, I did get to meet Watson's dad, uh, Big Cho, on the plane at the crack ass at dawn at 5:30 in the morning from Newark to Chicago, and that was kind of a full circle moment. You know, I've been wearing a Watson jersey for two seasons now. Obviously, I pump his tires a lot on this podcast. He, I'm gonna miss him the most out of the, out of that bunch, I think. Um, 
but it was awesome to watch him play. It was awesome to watch all those guys play. The the contributions from Durham and Manaya in one season, Horkler turning it on halfway through last season and continuing that all this year. Um, Fonts off the bench, you know, Reeves is four years, his hot shooting, um, you know, his clutch late game buzzer beating baskets. And of course, Watson's dominance under the, under the rim. Um, it's sad to see them go. And I think that was um, just one more in arena takeaway for you, Matt. That was kind of the, the consensus when the team, you know, ran off into the huddle is, is, you know, sucks that we lost, but sucks even more that these guys are going. Um, it was yeah. a special squad this year. It was a special five. Um, we're going to miss the hell out of them. It was awesome to cover them, but um, to all the, all the best to them in the future. Yeah. It's hard not to talk about those guys leaving without tearing up. Cause that's just the amount of memories with them. Reeves, all of his buzzer beaters, Watson, just really destroying St. John's is the first memory that comes to mind. Destroying St. John's and destroying rims is what I think of with him. <laughs> Manaya, lockdown defender, Horkler, Mr. Mr. Torchler over there. It's just such a consistent three-point shooter. And oh, Al Durham, the closer, obviously. And Andrew Fonts doing what Andrew Fonts does. Remember this? Was it against URI where he had a couple of key moments and again a road game there? Back in the fall of 2019, yeah. I remember that for that from him. I we could do a whole episode on each one of these guys and what they meant to this school, but gonna miss seeing them. Um, hell of a year. We'll see who else who is actually back. Like I said, we're gonna do stuff over the summer and start trying to figure out. We'll start looking at this transfer portal. Start looking at who might be coming in and who might be leaving. But there's a time and a place for that. I think for now we kind of let this rest. Enjoy what we had in this season. And it's sad to watch watch it end like this, but it's only as sad as it is because of, of how good it was at points in that game against Creighton at home, hoisting the trophy. Not a lot of teams that get to hoist the trophy in any given season. The Friars got to do that this year. First time in program history. You, they can't take that away, and I'm assuming there's going to be a banner for that probably in the fall. Yep. Oh, yeah. So just absolutely fantastic stuff there. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Friars finish with a 27 and six record. Second most wins. Like we said at the top in program history, one hell of a year that comes to an end on a Friday night in Chicago in the sweet 16. We'll be back with you guys later into the, the spring, the summer and back again into the fall. We're not planning on going anywhere anytime soon you can catch our writings over at big east coast bias i'm sure as the summer goes on we'll be putting some thoughts up there i know we have some content planned for you so once again stick around but i we always ask you to follow us but first and foremost give your love and support to those guys on the court and, and that coaching staff they're the ones that have earned it we just talk about the games they got to <laughs> play them they put a lot of hard work into it do a lot more than we do so go give them your love and support because god they have earned it over the last couple months and we'll be back with you shortly thank you everybody for listening through a fantastic season it really means a lot we've seen <laughs> we've seen our numbers go up big time this year we appreciate each and every one of you that's been listening we just like to talk about this stuff and it's nice to know that other people like to listen to us talk <laughs> uh, <laughs> even through all my angry rants yeah, that's a, that's what they're tuning in for, Joe. That's uh, that's the appeal of the show right here. The angry rants. It's barstool meets the athletic. Yeah, that's that's what we say. Joe is barstool. I'm the athletic, and we kind of bounce back and forth, giving you a couple levels of analysis of all of this stuff. It's been a blast covering this team. I'm hoping for another good year next year. But like we said, we'll enjoy this one for now. Savor what was a fantastic season, and we'll give you a little bit more content as as uh, things go along. Thank you all for listening and for a fantastic season. As always, go Friars.